Welcome to the Every Day is Saturday podcast. The number one motivation show on the planet. No more Mondays for you. It's time to make every day Saturday. Boom! This is the podcast where we help you to accept who you are, not where you are. On the roller coaster of life, you know we only sit in the front seat champion. So make sure you are fastened in. Let's go. Tired of feeling run down all the time during the week? We can help you make every day feel like it's a Saturday. Let's go pack your bags. It's time to leave Averageville. Introducing the man who thinks abnormal stands for above normal. When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up. The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Everyday Saturday podcast. Got a great guest today, Dr. Greg Bataro. I, I actually was just chatting with Greg offline saying, man, you have got to introduce yourself because you have way too many qualifications, okay? You're way too smart, you're doing way too much, and you're putting a lot of pressure on me to give you a proper introduction. First of all, Dr. Greg, welcome to the Everyday Saturday podcast, number one. And then Thank you. secondly, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you currently do, a little bit about your, your path. I mean, just to, uh, just kind of bring people up to speed on who Dr. Greg is and what you do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of all over the place. So what I do now, especially, I definitely am uh, almost, almost doing too much. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here with you and um, you know, very entrepreneurial in, in a lot of the pursuits that I've engaged in. I'm a psychologist. And so that's my formal training. Um, I also was a Franciscan friar for three and a half years. So kind of like a monk uh, living in religious life. I had a shaved head and a beard and a habit and um, was discerning religious life. And I was in temporary vows. Uh, Then then really kind of felt God calling me to to uh, end up ultimately married. So I left the friars. I went and got my doctorate. And um, it was my last year of my doctoral studies. I met my wife. And so in 2012, I, uh, I started a practice in Manhattan, and I got married that year. And since then, I've grown a giant practice with a bunch of new things that we started, some innovative ways to accompany people, especially getting through COVID. And I've also uh, managed to have seven kids in the meantime. So <laughs> I got seven under nine, and um, yeah, pretty amazing life. Seven kids under nine, man. I... I have four daughters, 22, 18, 17, and eight, you know, and uh, I'll share with you. I know a lot of the audience probably knows the story. Our eight-year-old was born at one pound, and, uh, you know, my wife delivered her at 24 weeks, and we were told, you know, hang out for a couple hours. This was since I live in Cincinnati, so Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Hang around for a couple hours. You probably won't make it, and so that's, here's, so this is a great place to start. A faith that's never been tested can't be trusted, you know, Yeah. and, uh, you know, we, we, we gave it all to God. And I remember she made it through that first night. And I remember driving home from Cincinnati Children's because I had three daughters at home as well. So you have homework, bath, lacrosse, everything. Like they are, you know, plugged into what's going on. This is a pretty serious situation, but life has to go on as well. And I remember driving up I-71 and I just said, God, I, I got nothing. I mean, I got nothing. There's nothing I can do but pray, you know? And when I think about the power of faith and what it's done in in my life, um, I'm curious. I mean, just in the resume that you just talked about there, I mean, everything that you've done uh, in your personal and professional life, can you talk about, let's just start right there, the power of faith, and do you activate it 
do you just rely on it? Do you call on God? Does, is God, uh, like, I've got my thoughts on this. I would love your thoughts on how faith can work and should work in the everyday lives of people. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think, you know, faith is, is ultimately a gift, and I can't, I can't really say too much to sort of how it happened in the first place, because I'm an overthinker. I'm an overdoer. I analyze everything. Like, my personality is not necessarily set up for the kind of faith that I have. And, but I just, you know, I, I went through some stuff. My, my family, uh, my parents got divorced before I went to college and really threw me for a loop. I was really searching. And things just kind of lined up. And, and all of a sudden, I was reading some stuff and was presented with some ideas that made sense of the pain that I was experiencing. And then, you know, that, that took me on the journey to the Franciscans where I literally just gave everything up and, and I sold my car. I gave away my every, every piece of my belongings was, I literally had nothing. I went to the Bronx and joined this group with, with just the shirt on my back. And I lived the most joyful life for three and a half years in that, in that kind of total abandonment and letting God take care of everything and seeing it happen miraculously on a you know almost daily basis the way that the life is actually lived and so that kind of experience leaving that now living regular quote unquote life it's almost easy you know it's almost like I, you know i feel like i'm I, I found the cheat code or something here because i you know i don't know how it works but it, if if we pretend like we are in control then we live a life of illusion at best and a life of misery at worst. And, you know, at the end of the day, of course, we have to participate and we collaborate with God and we, we show up. We have to show up. But it's almost easier even knowing that you're showing up to win the game. You already know the outcome of the game. You do have to show up to play the game, but we know the outcome. You know, if you have to wake up thinking that you might lose the game, that's where that lack of motivation and everything comes from. And that's really hard to play that game. I, I really give credit to the people who are who are winning without faith. I don't know how they do it. Wow. So, you know, I yeah, I gotta sort of see it as a collaboration and but at the end of the day, really believe that that God's got us. What okay, so you brought up the Franciscan monk. I mean, that is that is way too big of a topic to not go back to. <laughs> I, I, I got to know what was going on. So what year was like, what time of your life was this? And how did you get called to that? I mean, what, did you wake up one morning and say, that's it, I'm giving everything away except the shirt on my back? I mean, what was going on at that period of your life? So, so graduated high school, 99, went to college, 2000. Uh, that's when I was sort of reeling and found my faith in the, you know, the Catholic Church has these teachings on sexual morality that are uh, really clear and concise, not necessarily always sort of communicated very clearly or portrayed in a way that is helpful for people to understand. But for whatever I was, where I was at in that place, like it just made sense to why I was in so much pain from my parents' divorce and sort of how to make sense of like chaos around me. I was a freshman in college. My cousin was a senior and at the same college was taking me to all these parties. And I was like, it's pretty easy to kind of like live this lifestyle, but then all these people are still unhappy. So what, what's missing here? Yeah. And so that, that all those things just made sense to me. And that drew me, drove me deeper into that question of, of how to find happiness. And I started reading about the life of St. Francis and I saw the same guy who's like exuberant, passionate, loved life was seeking like the higher thing. 
and then found it and giving all of his life away to Christ and following him radically. So that inspired me. I, you know, long story short, there was this group in the Bronx that lived this sort of kind of radical poverty in an authentic imitation of the life of Francis following Christ. And I just loved them. They were, they were so joyful. They were, they were fun. They were not, you know, this sort of like boring, like self-flagellating, like, you know, kind of group of people. So um, over, over the years, I kind of kept in touch with them. And then in 2004, joined up with the Friars. I was there from 2004 to 2007. And that's when I really, you know, dug deep into self-awareness, learned how to pray, learned how to really trust God, ex- traveled all around the world, experienced all sorts of diversity and awesome cultural things and met people in the throes of very deep suffering and, and saw what faith could do in other people's lives. And so, yeah, that was all part of, of that story for me. Did you have like credit card bills or anything that like that you just kind of left all that behind? I mean, you have there there's life that goes on every day and then there you make that decision do you literally just cut the cord and 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 move in? You know, I apologize for my ignorance on this, but you. No, you, it's a it's a great question. So, and it's kind of funny because I I, I kind of do things over the top. So I, I was a college student. My parents had paid for my college education, so thank God I didn't have any 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 bills to pay. That was always their deal. They would take care of undergrad, which was awesome and very generous, and and it set me up to really have a lot of freedom of what I could do in my life. I went to graduate school, and I had just. I started graduate school and I had just taken out a loan and I had saved up and I had bought myself a car and you know, I had whatever a a 21 year old or whatever I was has at the time. And, uh, and then I, I really felt this call. I had wrestled back and forth with it through college. I dated, you know, when I had a girlfriend, I was like, I think I'm, I'm going to be married when I broke up or didn't have a girlfriend. It was like, ah, the Franciscans are calling, (laughs) you know, I was always back and forth. Uh-huh. But then, you know, I was really like, all right, I've been thinking about this for five years, time to get serious. And it, it's something in me. I made, I made a decision at that point. And then I just gave it all away. I sold the car, literally took the check, sent it to somebody I knew in Haiti. I was like, go get buy some food for some people and gave my brothers all my clothes, you know, at the time, CDs, you know, had stuff that I just literally gave it all away. I showed up in the Bronx and come to find out in the in the sort of intro weeks onboarding weeks for the franciscan life that there's a slower process by which you're actually supposed to give things away <laughs> so i was like what did you guys do when you sold all your stuff and they're like they looked at me like i had three heads they're like you you sold all your stuff already oh my like God. You're, you're not even supposed to close bank accounts till like one year in you know you make temporary vows and there's all these stages yeah and they're they're reasonable about it, you know. Here I am, this young kid. I was very unreasonable, but that's that's how I went in, and that's that's how I took it. I took it that seriously. It's like you know, is it a shave your head, wear a robe type thing for three years, or was it? Uh, I mean, was that part of the part of the plan as well? Yeah, that's part of the plan. So yeah, you have a habit. So you you wear a um, you know like a long sort of cloak that it's like Friar Tuck. You know, he's got the he's yeah. got the habit with the hood and the and the rope around the waist. It's called a cincture. And um, they, that's for simplicity's sake, so you don't have to worry about a bunch of clothes and everything else. They, they have fabric that's donated, and then they have somebody who knows how to sew, and they make the habits, and, hey, shave your head. And it's for simplicity and grow the beard out a little bit for austerity. And, uh, yes, yeah, just everything has a lot of deep meaning, and, and it's a life of, of real simplicity, and, but deep, deep joy and faith. 
Wow, that is uh that's amazing, man. Um I'm I'm talking to Dr. Greg Bataro here. This is so fascinating for me. I hope I know the audience is just getting uh, a ton of value out of the first 10 minutes of this as well. Uh, so Dr. Greg is a psychologist, and he integrates Catholicism with psychology, specializing in mental health services and resources. It's also, uh, you have a podcast as well, right? Is it the Being Human podcast? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yep. we're, we're, we're looking at some of those same issues. So how would you describe what you do right now, like an average day in the life of Dr. Greg? What's, what's an average day in your life look right now from a business perspective? Yeah, so so grew a group practice, then we took it online, started doing virtual therapy, and then I developed a new model of of accompaniment altogether. I call it mentorship, and that was that was through uh, experiencing actually business coaching um, through. We use the app called Voxer for yeah. in my business coaching mastermind that I'm a part of, and I was really frustrated with the lack of connection with my patients. And I was like, all right, I'm doing this from a Christian perspective. Like, I want to walk with people the way Jesus walks with people. But I'm doing it in 45 minutes once a week. Meanwhile, my business coach is like more a part of my life than I'm a part of my patients' lives. Mm-hmm. So before COVID, I took this step back and really sort of looked at this and and um, and just was inspired to put the two together. And I was like, what if I walk with my patients the way that my coaches walk with me? So we bring the psychological expertise into the engagement, but use the modalities with the technology that we actually have available to us. So then we created this new model called mentorship. So put that into practice with 15 other therapists that I had working for me to amazing effect. And now we've turned it into a certification program. We're actually teaching other people how to use our principles of integration. So what does it mean to have a Christian understanding of a person? How do we help people? And then also learning new modalities to be able to walk with people. So, so I've, I'm coming around now after about two years of creating a certification program. I'm just wrapping up my fourth quarter of content that I've, I've been recording. And we launched it last October. Uh, and so the, after this content is actually created, the next step is going to be more sort of networking and marketing and bringing that out to the world. Yeah. So, so with, uh, with Catholicism... Um, why blend Catholicism with psychology? That's a great question. So, you know, and, and from my side of the story, I started from the Catholicism part of it and sort of ended up in the psychology because I went from being a friar to needing a job that I was going to pay the bills because I then felt like I was, you know, called to be married. So, you know, it made the most sense to me from the Catholic side of it. It's like, I want to help people. I want to live my life for other people. So if I'm going to be in the world and I need to get paid and sustain a family, psychology sort of stood out to me because it it's the way to really walk with and work with people. Then I got into the field. And I was like, wait a minute. Nobody knows what they're talking about here in this field of psychology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's all these competing theories. I mean, you spend hours upon hours upon hours just learning what other individuals hypothesized about the person and they're competing theories and they're all in conflict with each other. And they're, you know, at the end of the day, the research shows that, that that it's, it's not really even that effective. I mean, you know, the most important thing that's across the board, any modality of therapy is the relationship that's developed with the therapist. So all these people that, Oh, we have this new model and we're doing this new thing. And this is what the research says. And, We've discovered this new thing. It's like, there's nothing new. It's always going to be relationship. Well, 
as I'm looking at that, seeing we already have this model. We've had it for 2,000 years. And in the church, we've got a philosophy of the person fleshed out in the most articulate and brilliant manner that if, if anybody would just look, we already have these answers. This is how God made us. This is what wounds us. And this is how we can help each other by facilitating God's grace and finding healing. So why not apply those principles to this work of psychology? Of course, being open to the expertise of the sciences, that matters. But it doesn't sort of lead the conversation. It needs to validate the conversation. So that's where we see this person as integrated. And we have a body and spirit. And we have deep principles of our humanity, which are eternal. And so that's where we start with the philosophy of the person. And then we see how does that make sense in the natural, observable world around us? Yeah. Fascinating. You know, I would have been, you would have been a great guy for me to talk to back when I quit my corporate job, uh, you know, 18 years ago, because I literally jumped off the cliff and built the parachute on the way down. Oh, yeah. And I think I just have a ridiculous, some would say, um, non-practical amount of faith. Like I always, I just assume God's going to be there to catch me, you know? So I was a corporate guy, subsidiary of Fortune 100 company, left a six-figure job, stock options, because my daughter used to ask me every day, Daddy, is tomorrow Saturday? So I said, you know, someday, well, every day is going to be Saturday. So I bought everydayisaturday.com, and awesome. I launched the podcast Every Day is Saturday. This was, you know, before the iPhone even came out. And I never gave a second thought to going broke, you know? And I just figured it would work out because uh, it, with God on my side, I mean, how could it not work out? But then yeah. I, I would share that message with, even Christians, you know, and they're like, dude, no. I mean, that's, that's, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I just want to squeeze all the toothpaste out of the tube of life. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to get all the awesome sauce out of it. And I think if it's, a, it, I, I think it's a heart centered issue. I think if your heart's in the right spot and you work hard, God will be there with you. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail or have adversity, but he's never going to leave you, you know? So what advice would you have given me 18 years ago if I, if I came and said, Dr. Greg, my daughter wants every day to be Saturday. I hate this corporate slave gig. I, I'm miserable. I'm working 60, 70 hours a week. I'm just going to quit and go for my dream. What advice would you have given me? Yeah, I, I usually, two, two principles. If you're grounded on faith, if you're starting from that position, so that's the caveat here. But if you're grounded on faith, I say dream big and then fail fast yeah, and, and fail forward. And that's the whole thing. It's like that, that idea that, of course, it's not going to go perfectly every step of the way. If we already know we win in the end, that's our greatest strength is that we can look at our failures as learning opportunities. And every time we fail, it's like, this is awesome. I just learned something that I didn't know yesterday. Yeah. I failed because I didn't know this yesterday, and now I know this. I'm better than I was yesterday. And this is the whole life of conversion, the whole life of transformation and renewal. Every day, almost every day, well, we have different conversations at the dinner table with prompts, different prompts that we use, but, but one of the frequent ones is, how did you fail today? And, and you know, we'll go around the table, and the kids have to come up with ways that they made a mistake or what they did wrong and then what they learned from it. And it's like when, when one of them says, like, I, I didn't fail today, you know, the response is, well, all right, better luck tomorrow. We'll try again. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, we have to rewrite that script. So so that's what I would tell you is like, get used to failing. Look for it. Try. Like, you have to figure out where your 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 gaps are. And not only be don't be afraid of failing, but be excited about failing. 
and then and then look for how quickly you can actually become better at what you're doing as you're pursuing that dream. What are your thoughts about money in that relationship? Because, you know, a lot of people won't go for their dream because let's use that example of leaving a job, quitting a job to go for your entrepreneurial journey. But you have a spouse, you've got bills, you have children. And if you do fail, you're going to fail fast. What if you don't make money and you go broke and now you're on welfare or some social program and even worse, the judgment and scorn from your peers because you left all of this behind. That is that that is a real big albatross around the necks of a lot of people who would love to go for their entrepreneurial dream. But the money they just they need that security. And it's a huge just imbalance there. You know what I mean? Yeah, money money is uh, is a real problem for people, and you're talking to a former fryer, so obviously you're going to get <laughs> yeah. a validated answer here. And I can tell you right now that money doesn't make you happy. And you know, even the people that say like, "Well, but it certainly helps," I I, I think that's a cop out. And you find people on welfare that are incredibly happy, and you find a lot of wealthy people that are incredibly miserable. And the more that we actually look at this issue, the more we can see that money is not in the same equation. And it's, it, it, there, the, people will have an illusion that money gives them security. It goes back to that same illusion that I'm ultimately in charge, that I'm in control of things. And I, you see this now in, like the, in the sort of longevity space, people trying to figure out how to hack the body. You know, if we figure out all these different ways you know, we're, we're uh, prolonging dementia or prolonging muscle failure and all these things. It's like, why can't people see that you're just avoiding the inevitable? We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. That, that is the underlying problem that every single person has to face. And either you're going to ignore that and pretend like you're avoiding it, or you're going to accept it, but realize that we're made for eternity. And so there's got to be something bigger than, than what is in front of our face right now. So money then becomes just another side issue, and if you're if you're uh, if you're if you're happy and 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 you're following the call that's in your heart from God, success is a human experience, and sometimes it comes with with money and wealth, and that's great. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem with it is when that becomes the 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 what maintains the illusion that somehow you're in control of your life. Mm, yeah. Wow. Boy. And do we want to be in control of our life? Yeah. I mean, we need to be, I, I remember I took a flight from London one time. I was speaking at an event and we were flying into JFK over the ocean there. And it was a little, it was a little bumpy and I don't, <laughs> and I was in the back of the plane and we finally landed and it was just up and I'm like, holy cow. And I was still sitting down. Everybody got off the plane. The stewardess came over and said, uh, you're a guy who likes to be in control, right? And I go, <laughs> Yeah. She goes, you're not in control on this airplane. Okay. And by the way, that was the co-pilot that was practicing landings over the ocean. I'm like, oh my God, of all the times you got the guy practicing, it's got to be the time I'm on the flight. But it was a great metaphor for my life that, you know, and still I battle with this a lot that I'm in control, you know, and when you're on the airplane, you have no control. And God is the actual pilot of what we're doing in this lifetime. And if you follow that and trust in that, uh, it's not that it's not going to be bumpy without turbulence, but you have to give up control. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I often think about this in my prayer life because I'm obviously always trying to wrestle back control. And, you know, there, for me, I have experiences where um, certain kinds of physicians, I, I can sort of put myself in their care and I just really trust that they know what they're doing. And there's a part of me that turns off. 
that whole like self-sufficiency, I need to be in control part will kind of turn off. And experiencing it in those engagements gives me great, a, a sort of great context to bring to prayer. And I pray that I can have that same trust in God in, in those hairy times when it's other things like, is this new project going to work out? Is this move going to work out? Is this hire or this fire going to work out? Or all these other things that we have to deal with in business and daily life. It's like, you're still not in control any more than you would be under the knife of a surgeon. You, it's an illusion. So, so, so to bring ourselves into that space mentally, psychologically, also, by the way, it turns out to be really psychologically healthy to be able to do that. And it unlocks all sorts of creative capacities in our mind. Like the psychology of this is actually really fascinating as well, but yeah, but we're better for it when we're trusting that somebody else is in charge. Now, when it comes to debt, talking about money, are you more of a Dave Ramsey guy, cut up your credit cards and only pay cash? Or are you a guy that is believes that, hey, you can, you know, don't extend yourself, but manage to pay? I mean, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I think Dave Ramsey has done a lot of good for people that are living at, you know, under a lot of stress and pressure and is definitely a path out. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've been blessed to be surrounded by, by friends who are really savvy in the financial space and, you know, people that get into like real estate syndication, investing and all sorts of other VC type things. And, you know, debt is a, is a really good thing to leverage and, and can be really important. We're all living in a world where that's part of life. And so we're, we're either using it or being used by it, I think. So it's, yeah. I don't know that we can totally separate ourselves out and pocket ourselves out from that. Um, so I've had, you know, so I'm always looking at that, like the percentage points, like who's, who's, who's winning in this deal yeah. with these percentage points. And can I use that to my advantage? Yeah. No, that's smart. I mean, it's a loaded weapon, right? It's like, a, it, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. Um, uh, depending on how you choose to use and again another heart issue where's your heart at you know right being an entrepreneur you're gonna have to at some point unless you can just figure out how to get somebody to back you or you have all the cash you're going to have to incur debt but like we talked about you know from 18 years ago starting a business is to is, is that dream big are you committed to it are you really passionate about it and uh if your heart's in the right spot i like my odds i'm a gambler you know yeah i like yeah I, I like to bet on myself you know <laughs> so we talked about the money part of the entrepreneurial journey a little bit what about the judgment what about the fear of failing in front of your friends or i help people launch their million dollar message you know launching a podcast and things like that and a lot of adults i mean people my age um as well are like well you know uh my brother-in-law or my mom or my uncle or their friends at work if they if they get wind that i'm doing this crazy thing i just can't deal with the judgment i mean how do you process from a psychological perspective what's going on there when we're when we have that fear of being judged by others yeah i love to speak into this because uh in i think there's a lot of pop psychology and that enters into some of the coaching spaces and um, by the way, as a side note, I did I did binge a bunch of your episodes. Oh <laughs> and no! I and actually you still showed up for the interview. No, I, yeah, I was I was preparing, but I and I and I heard the story about your daughter, which is unbelievably beautiful. By the way, I was like on my way. I was on the highway listening to your podcast. I'm like choked up, like tears are coming down. I'm like, oh, I don't, wow. what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. And but I I don't know if you've covered any of this before, and I don't mean to to sort of say anything. not from an intellectual perspective. I promise you. So you're safe. You're well. Safe. I you know I do think that there's there's a certain pop psychology trend to um, to be very. It's almost like you need to use criticism to combat criticism. And then we talk about like the inner critic or 
you know, these, this self-hatred or, uh, you know, all these different voices inside of us. But the way that it's talked about is as if those are bad things. And so we need to sort of stamp them out or criticize them and reject them and get rid of them. Problem is any coach who's been in the business for more than like a month (laughs) will know that your client's coming back with those same voices next week. Like maybe you got over this hurdle, but they're still there. Why? Because those are part of us. And so there's a, a, a theoretical system that I really like in psychology called internal family systems. And what it does is it says that we actually are made up of a lot of different parts. There's different perspectives, different voices within us, just like there would be in a, in a big family. And just like if a family goes to family therapy, the solution isn't let's kick out cousin Jimmy or uncle Bob with the drinking problem, or this is really all mom's fault. So let's just make sure we never talk to mom again. It's a matter of how do we work through the miscommunications, the unmet needs? How do we find out what's really going on under the surface? So if, if somebody's starting up and you have this fear, this inner critic, this, this voice that pops up, there's a good reason why that voice is there. That's where we're going to start. And you say, you know what? You don't want to fail. That's understandable. I, I get why you wouldn't want to fail. You don't want to be judged by your, your, your family. I get it. Who, who wants to be judged by their family? <laughs> I know, right? Like that's understandable. All right, well, let's go a little bit deeper. What is this part saying? How is it? What, like, what is it really saying? You know, it's really saying don't take a chance because this is comfortable or this is, and you enter into conversation with those different parts. And then you find out that the more you try to reject them, the louder they get. But the more that you listen and give compassion to those parts of our own self, the softer they become. And, at, and then it's actually easier to say, you know what? I really appreciate you not wanting me to be hated by my family. I don't want to be hated by my family. Like, stick around. Mm. Help me out in other situations. Like, I don't know. Let me know if you think I'm having a too many drinks and I'm going to say something stupid at the Thanksgiving dinner table. But... Right now, as I'm trying this new thing, I'm going to take what you're saying seriously, but could you maybe take a break from staying in my ear so much right now? Let's revisit in two weeks. Let's revisit in a month and see how things are going. Let's check in again and see, like, are we on a better path? Is there more insight or or more perspective to the future where maybe this isn't going to be a failure because of what I was able to accomplish in the last month? And check in. So you're not going, I'm not rejecting you inner critic part, but I'm going to ask you to take a step back for a minute and we'll do a check in later. Interestingly enough, that kind of self-talk and doing journaling or reflection or meditation in that kind of way is unbelievably powerful. Mm. And when that voice actually steps aside, we have other voices that show up, little kid parts of us really excited, creative, naive parts of us that are just ready to take the world by the horns and just do something amazing. And, and if you let that critic part kind of step aside, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I have all these new ideas. This is, where were these ideas yesterday? I yeah. can't believe I saw the solution now to that thing. I thought it was a problem. And, uh, and your mind is off to the races with, with new, new wonderful things. Yeah, boy, that's powerful too. Uh, I got to implement this in my golf game. Uh, 
because, and, yes. because that's the that's the real serious work that I that I do. Greg is uh, I was in a tournament this weekend at our at our club and I and I did talk to God on the way there and I'm like God just let me hit a good tee shot off the first tee. Everybody's watching. <laughs> Everything's going on, you know, and of course I shank one over to the right and, uh, well, it's understandable why you didn't want to do that. That, that part has a place, <laughs> but, but I'm so incredibly shallow. I mean, I'm, I'm as transparent as a glass of water. Well, let me tell you something. You're not as shallow as I am because I'll, I'll, I'll admit this right now publicly. It's one of my greatest life failures yeah. is that I stopped playing golf because I was so unable to get a handle on the mindset part of it. Oh. And I've never tried to go back to it again. <laughs> you talk about wanting to be in control. I mean, it is, it is a you against you mindset for 18 holes, man. And it is just, it's crazy. And it keeps me coming back. That's a, it's like, I don't know why I'm wired that way, but it's just, it's so when you think about it, so I wake up every morning and I, you know, my wife and I been married 25 years and, um, the quiet time for us is about five thirty in the morning. Cause you know, with four kids and three of them living at home right now, it, it gets a little crazy once eight o'clock comes and you got seven, you know, so, you know, and we try to, uh, have real good conversation that we can't normally have throughout the week. And even before she wakes up, I get up, I start the coffee. I'll talk to God. I talk yeah. to God in the car. I talk to God on the treadmill. I talk to God in the morning, best conversations I have with him are in the morning. And I feel like it just starts my day the right way. And I'm not here to teach a class on how to have a conversation with God, but I'm, my point being is that anybody can have a conversation with God at any time. You know, it doesn't need to be inside of a church. Doesn't need to be, you know, anything formal. And I think we miss that a lot of just being, having him present. So another thing I talked about on my podcast more than a few times is how unbelievably powerful it is to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you mm -hmm. know? And I was in a small group, and I think it's a great idea to be around a bunch of 80-year-olds because you that, that's our small group, you know? And they have such wisdom and such perspective, and they never talk about money or how big their house is or anything. They want relationships, yeah. you know? And they said, uh, man, how about when we get to heaven and everybody in the Old Testament's going to say, hey, what would you guys do with the Holy Spirit? And we're like, what are you talking about? We didn't have the Holy Spirit. You got, I mean, what'd you do with, you had it inside of you your entire life. How'd you use it? And when it was posed to me that way, I was like, whoa, man, I'm really not talking about squeezing the tooth. I am not even touching that. The yeah. Holy Spirit, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit because I, I just, I love, I just love all of that. And that I think is the embodiment of what really gets me juiced up as well is knowing that we all have Jesus inside of us. Oh, it's so powerful. It's so awesome. I mean, this is something that in the Catholic space, sometimes there's there's some uh, some sort of fear mongering around evil spirits, and you know, there's a lot of stuff. And I think it's in the in the general Christian space as well. But we have you know exorcists, and we have these books, and exorcist tells his tale, and there's all these interviews with these exorcists, and they're telling you what to avoid and make sure you're on guard against all these things. And like, look at yes, the spiritual battle is real, but we forget that evil spirits are creatures and the holy spirit is god who created them so there's it's not like a battle on a football field between good and evil and and so when we when we think about like oh we, we could be possessed by an evil spirit be careful don't do this hand sign or you know whatever it's like i i ask every day to be possessed by the holy spirit mm. I'm begging and inviting him in and I'm asking him, right? So it's like, can we live with the same kind of confidence and hope and joy that is 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 sort of commensurate or or opposite of the kind of fear and anxiety that's provoked 
because you might be, you know, put a hex on by somebody or, or something like that. I mean, this is the whole world. This is the whole, this world is, is all a manifestation of God's love. And he created us to be a part of it with him, to enter deeply into that relationship with him, to be uh, enlivened and, and, and invigorated with him as, as the animating spirit of our whole, of our whole life. So it, there's nothing, you know, we can't say enough about the Holy Spirit, but I think this is what people don't get, especially from a Christian perspective. It's really sad. It's like, what are we really saying we believe? Mm. You know, Christ became one of us so that we could become like him. And through baptism, that's already a journey that's begun. And he's breathing his spirit into us so that we will continue on that path towards communion and union with him. So it opens up every door. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I mean, um, yeah, amen to all of that. I just think, you know, from we don't even realize it's like we've got this Ferrari that's sitting in the garage and it's ready to go. And we're not even driving it. We're not even putting it into second gear, you know. And yeah, or or it's like it's like having the Ferrari, and then you know it's like we're, we're we feel like we're, we think we're supposed to just push it up and down the street, or like you push it out <laughs> into the driveway, and it's like there's gas for that thing. Yeah, you know, it's like you can you can you know we are the Ferrari. You know, it's like we're amazing. Like yeah. the person is an amazing. We're an image of God. Like yeah. that's incredible, but we have to be filled with the fuel that that actually makes us run the way that He created us to run, and that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. No, I love it, man. I love it. See, growing up Catholic, we didn't talk a lot about that. Now, I'm the youngest of eight kids, by the way. So, uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, my mom raised eight of us by herself and oh, in a boy. small town back in Pennsylvania. Um, but I, we always had to broker a deal with God through the priest, you know? So yeah. we would go say, you know, go to confession and the 10 Hail Marys and an Our Father. And so this has just been my journey. I just, I would love your, your insight into this. So when, um, I became, I, we, we, now, uh, we now attend a non-denominational church. I'm a Christian still. I was baptized Catholic. Um, and, but the re- I have now, I feel, a personal relationship with Christ. When I grew up Catholic, I was an altar boy and all of that as well. I didn't feel like I had a personal relationship with Christ because I had to go to the priest to ask forgiveness and then give me my penance to do. So where is that so i'm just i don't even know if it's a question in there but does that make sense how some catholics when they grow up feel like i don't have a personal relationship? can i have a personal relationship i guess that's my question can you be a catholic and have a personal relationship with christ like non-denominational uh christians who go directly to god to have a conversation as opposed to the priest yeah so you know first of all let me just say i you know as as somebody who can speak with with some some education on part of the church and its teachings i would First of all, just apologize that you had that experience because that is a flatly wrong perspective of of Catholic spirituality and, and theology, mm. and it's it's really breaks my heart how many people are away from the church because of a misunderstanding yeah. of what the actual Catholic teachings are, and to sort of to sort of preempt the answer here the role of the, te- the of the priest one of the most important roles of the priest is to teach the faith and in that case he failed or, or or in that in that area wherever you were that priest those priests that either set that stage for your mom or for you guys to hear that learn that feel that way that's just flatly wrong mm. 
And, you know, I didn't, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I'd love to have deeper, further conversation with you and even invite you to sort of, if you want to explore some of these things later on. Oh, we will, man. This uh, isn't the last conversation you and even, I are having. Even personally, you know, yeah. it's just, just yeah. to kind of maybe see if that door is still open because yep. the, the teachings from the Catholic history of, of the, of the, of the faith and in the, um, you know, just the tradition as it's passed down have some of the most mind blowingly beautiful teachings and descriptions of the personal relationship with God. And the heights of mystical theology are, have been written by, by Catholic saints and, and mystics. And, and so if we look at what we're actually all called to individually, it, I think is far beyond even what, and I, you know, I, I hear a lot of Protestant teaching and, and preaching and, um, I'm, I'm open to getting truth from all places. So I certainly see a lot of it. Um, and uh, I think a lot of it stuck in the human experience, which is a great place to start. But I don't think it goes far enough into the mystical experience beyond the human. I think what the Catholic Church really misses is like, we're not even starting at the human experience. Yeah. It's like these services are boring. Yeah. Like nobody's excited or interested. And it's like, instead of saying like, well, wow, maybe we could do a better job to catechize and teach why this would be so amazing instead would just say like well it's up to people they should they should read more pray more do more because then they'll be excited by this boring mass yeah i mean that's just that's just horrible so it's understandable to say like well let's find a place where at least the human experience is being respected more but there can be more than that even like going beyond starting from but then being going beyond the human experience we enter into a mystical experience and that's where we kind of leave the world behind and, yeah. and really enter into these upper realms of, of what it is to be in communion with God. And, and the church teaches that that is the calling, not just that it's open to, but it's the, it's the expectation of every single person through baptism. And, and so the church calls it the universal call to holiness. And in unpacking what the universal call to holiness means is that every single person is called to be a saint and the, the life of a saint is to be a mystic and to have an inner experience, a personal relationship with Jesus, with the whole Trinity, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. And so now we're, we're in a place that in the Catholic Church in the 20th century, there was a big push to move away from sort of an antiquated culture in which the priests are holy, the nuns maybe are holy, but the normal family person is just kind of, you know, sludging along. And they're good enough if they can get to mass and mm -hmm. go to confession, of course. Well, we're beyond that now. And there's been so many lay people that and married people uh, who've been canonized saints. And we find out that they had these like incredibly deep mystical lives and these intense relationships with God. And so I think the biggest problem now that faces us all as Christians is the world is doubting fatherhood. You know, it's like we have to all figure it out on our own because we don't want to actually believe in God as this loving father. And if we have difficult experiences with fathers, um, that will definitely psychologically kind of block us from seeing that like real goodness of God, the father. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of starting point to being able to trust. Like it goes back to the garden of Eden. I mean, Adam and Eve had to follow the teaching and the rule and the, the love and the guidance of the father. 
And that was the, that was the original rejection. It was like, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. But our whole, the whole history of the world can be seen in that light. And I think now, especially we're in that place where like, I, you know, we need to start sharing the good news that there's a father who's good and trustworthy and loves us. And then we can actually be kids and actually just enjoy this playground of a world that he created for us. Wouldn't that be amazing, man, the way you just framed that? First of all, I've been called a lot of things, but I've never been called a saint. So <laughs> when you said we're all called to be saints, I'm like, hey, that'll be a first, Sam Crowley being called a saint. That'll be neat. I, I, wait, just on that real quick, yeah. I, I don't mean to cut you off, no, but I help people a lot of times with this to say, think about that for a minute, because that's who you're called to be. You are Saint Sam Crowley. That's, that's the fullness of who you are. God, who's outside of time, already sees that. He loves you because of that. He's loving you into that in time, but he's outside of time. So he already sees St. Sam Crowley. So when we're thinking about what are we supposed to do with our life, discerning decisions we're making, do I leave this corporate job? Do I become a better dad in this way, a better mom? It's like, what would St. Sam Crowley do? Mm-hmm. It's like, who, who, what's St. Sam Crowley's story? And it's like, oh yeah, St. Sam mm-hmm. Crowley. It was really tough for him, but he quit that corporate job and he took the chance and he put his trust and faith in God. And then he had this beautiful life and he made every day Saturday and he was there for his kids like he could never be before. And now we can all look to St. Sam Crowley as an example. In the church, that's all that saints are. They're just examples of our brothers and sisters who went ahead of us and can teach us something about the the way they live their lives. And we learn from that so that we can be part of that journey too. So, sorry, little, little tangent dirge there, but we didn't cut you off. Look, I battle it, man. So St. Sam Crowley's life would also involve chasing women in my twenties, going to happy hour, getting drunk all the time. Yeah. Uh, You can see how I cannot necessarily, I've, you know, I've turned the corner. I'll be 55 in a couple of weeks. So I definitely turned the corner. But you see how we can't really give ourselves that sainthood because of all of the stupid things we've done in our past. No, that's but that's the beautiful thing. <laughs> if you read the lives of the saints, Saint, read the history of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was actually still living with his mistress with an illegitimate child <laughs> while he was learning about God and, st- and still wrestling. And some of the greatest saints of the church are the ones that have the most colorful histories and not in a good way. And that's the whole point. It's like, it's all about conversion. It's all about what does, what happens when God enters in our life and we say yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a continual yeah. journey. I'm not saying we are saints now in time. Yeah. Because there's certainly mistakes that you and I are going to continue to make. But it's outside of time where God exists and he's calling us into that fulfillment of what he's created us to become. So every day we become a little bit better version of ourselves so that ultimately we will be the saints that he's created us to become. I love it, man. I love all that. Boy, that it's so inspiring, but it just like, even while you're talking, I just feel a huge load off my shoulders, you know, Mm. because we're just, we just so much pressure. You know, we talked about having to earn income, being a parent, social media now puts us to just this ridiculous standard of how we have to show up on our best days. Like every photo needs to be a Super Bowl type photo of how great our oh, life yeah. is today. You know, what you just said, man, uh, that is a, that is a, that's going to stick with me forever. You know, St. Sam Crowley or anybody listening to this podcast, put the word Saint in front of your name. It's not all of the sins of the past. It's who you are becoming along the way and the transformation into who God really would love for you to become. And it's not perfect, right? It's just we're, right. Not, we're not called to be perfect. 
you know? Yeah, in the final the final final analysis, that's where we end up if we're in union with him, right? Who's who's perfect. But we're that's the thing, like and, and I think with success that happens a lot of times, or if we overcome a certain hurdle and then we get lazy and it's like, All right, I figured it out. Yeah. You know, and here I am, now I made it. And it's like, gosh, I hate that. And and even with my team, I'm constantly telling them like the bigger we get and the more success that we have it becomes almost a, a a bigger anxiety for me. Yeah. It's like, please don't let me forget where I'm messing up today. Yeah. Like not even where I came from, you know, back in my twenties, but like, what did I do wrong today? And help me be a better version of me tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I could seriously, Greg, I mean, I could talk to you for three hours. Um, we don't have three hours. <laughs> Uh, I know you don't. You're a busy guy. Where uh, you carved out some time for us today. I'm talking to Dr. Greg Bataro. Uh, Greg, before we end it, of course, uh, before I forget as well, uh, if people wanted to connect with you, what's the best place where they can uh, where they can connect? Sure, we have two two places on the web: CatholicPsych.com. Uh, so that's the the sort of brand of of this all things integration with the faith and psychology. CatholicPsych.com, and that's our handle on on uh, social media. And then this new thing that I briefly mentioned with mentorship, we've got a new uh, new website, uh, iddmentor.com. It stands for Integrated Daily Dialogic Mentorship. And that's this new form of working with people that, ha- that happens on a daily basis instead of 45 minutes once a week. And so that's iddmentor.com. CatholicPsych.com, iddmentor.com, Dr. Greg Bataro. Man, this was uh, this flew by. First of all, like I feel like I haven't even scratched. I I got so many more questions for it. We are going to connect offline. There's no doubt about that. Because awesome, you're a fascinating guy. You're a stand-up dude, and um, just the insight today. I love that we talked about the entrepreneurship part of it, and the fear, and the money, and all of that, because those are real things that I have conversations with people every single day. And I just would love for people to step into their own greatness, whatever that looks like for them. You know, you don't got to be a multimillionaire. You don't even have to be a podcaster. But, you know, whoever that vision is that you have and God has, when that's in alignment, man, that is such a powder keg. Like, it's just, it's 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 a snowball going down the hill, man. It's just, there's so much momentum there, you know? So I'm so happy that we had a conversation around all of that today, man. I loved all of it. Yeah, me too. Thanks for the opportunity and great conversation. I definitely look forward to to chat more with you. You got it. You got it. Make sure you check out Dr. Greg Bataro, catholicpsych.com, iddmentor.com. We'll put a link in the uh, description. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, you'll see it in the description. Everything on iTunes and Spotify as well. So Dr. Greg, uh, thank you so much for being on the Everyday Saturday podcast. Thanks for having me. God bless you. You got it. You got it. And that's a wrap. Another Everyday Saturday podcast in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Would you do your boy a favor? Would you get on iTunes or wherever you listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast and leave a rating for the show? It helps amazing people like you find the show faster. And that's what I'm looking for, amazing people like you. Hey, I'm always hanging out on the interwebs. You can check me out on Instagram, at Everyday is Saturday. Let me know you're listening to the show. Love, 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 love hearing from fans of the Everyday Saturday podcast. And one last thing, when you're ready to launch, get on my calendar, go to launchwithsam.com. You and I are going to work together to set rocket fuel to your dream. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll see you on the next Everyday is Saturday podcast.